0: to the after the bell podcast brought to you by connex education academy our podcast is here to help teachers leaders and tutors we will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom both face to face or virtually welcome back to the after the bell podcast brought to you by the classroom partnership and the connex education academy Georgie here, director of learning development, and we return to focus on our new series of podcasts focusing on SEN, special educational needs and disabilities. Joined by Andy Bridge, a current deputy head teacher, and Debbie Davis, head teacher of an independent special school, experience SENCO. SENCO practice describes four broad areas of need: mission and learning, communication and interaction, social, emotional, and mental health sensory and physical needs and in reality though many students will not neatly fit into one of these categories they may even actually fall across different categories and even within a category their needs will still be individual this podcast is now going to explore how we can really get to know our students so that our provision becomes tailored to their specific needs Hi Andy. So we know that students may not neatly fall into one area of need. What might this look like in practice?
1: Hi Georgie. So I, I always think about the areas of need. I think it's helpful to think of them as like a Venn diagram where the circles overlap slightly. So some students might neatly fit into one category, whereas others might have needs that cross multiple areas and, and they're in those kind of intersectional areas. Um, but even with that side, the categories are really broad. So For example, you might have two students that have got communication and interaction needs. For one student, their difficulty could be about like that physical production of spoken sounds. Whereas for another student, it might be more of a social difficulty, like the concept of turn taking in conversation. Um, For other students, the special educational needs might co-locate. For example, you might have a child who's got a physical disability. Um, They might also have a learning difficulty. And it's possible that those two... um, Areas of need are, are interlinked and one causes the other, but equally they might be totally separate than the physical disability. So it, it really is bespoke and individual for each child.
0: It it does sound sort of more complex, and and I you know that concept of a Venn diagram is actually quite a good visible, visible kind of thought that you can have in your head that the, it's interlinked and overlapped, and there isn't one specific category. Definitely. Very complex, I imagine. But Debbie, it isn't as easy as saying then that this student has cognition and learning needs, it is much wider than that. So how could we support him or her in the classroom in these instances?
2: Yeah, unfortunately not, Georgie. There are, of course, strategies that often help students with particular difficulties. We'll pick up on these a bit later on in the episodes of this series. For example, looking at challenges faced by students with dyslexia, and how they may be able to support, how we may be able to support them. And ultimately every child is individual and their needs will all differ. Uh, There may be some best bets uh, that we know may support a child with dyslexia, for example, but our question really needs to to be bespoke. uh, what, What are the students' particular barriers to learning and how can we help them to overcome rather than Uh, this student has dyslexia, what strategies should we use to help them in the class? I find it a a helpful way to think about this is that all, all children have common needs. For example, all children need a good teacher. We know that. Some children have specific needs that are shared with a group, for example, those in the same area of need. But on top of that, children have an individual need which is Spoke to them and coming back to the idea of building relationships you can find more out about what the student needs by building up that kind of relationship to, to tailor for their need
0: that that makes a lot of sense there's so students with the same send may have some characteristics common but also may have some things that are totally unique to them that 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 sounds like it's Possibly quite complex for teachers to manage then. So given the bespoke nature of these student needs, how do teachers go about this, Andy?
1: Yeah, I think it links back to what Debbie's just said, that it's really about getting to know your individual students. And quite often this might be collected centrally by SENCO. But if it's not, I guess there's four key questions I think it can be really useful for classroom teachers to consider. So number one, what are the barriers to learning that that student is experiencing? in my subjects what support do they need to be able to access the curriculum what are their strengths interests and aspirations and actually that third question i think is so important because quite often we can end up in this cycle of thinking about scnd as a negative thing always thinking that it's a problem and that it's a difficulty well actually any student that's got scnd has still got lots of strengths interests aspirations and we should focus on those positives and finally how can we adapt our provision to really support that student and Answering those questions could look like lots of different things. It, it might be Debbie's emphasised the importance of talking to the student. It might be talking to their previous class teacher. It might be looking in their, their exercise book really in depth, at the work they're producing and using all those different sources of information to try and get that really holistic picture of the student, their needs and how we can support.
0: So like you said, Andy, it, it really is about getting to know the child on, on an individual basis before deciding how best to help them in the classroom
1: yeah definitely
0: what about yeah yeah. it's really key isn't it to actually treat them like an individual and it, it sounds like common sense but it doesn't always happen what about at a whole school level debbie how might the senco coordinate this kind of support because that's going to be quite complex
2: yeah you're right and coming back to the code of practice this is called the graduated response or the graduated approach georgie which is is also known as um, assess, plan, do, review, and that's a cycle. And there are four stages that the SENCO goes through with each student to coordinate the provision, and constantly reflect on what is working and how it can be improved. So the access, the the assess stage, uh, forgive me, is building on holistic the holistic picture of the pupils needs by gathering information from several sources such as the pupil parents carers colleagues and external professionals the plan stage is using the kind of information gathered above to generate a hypothesis about the type of support that that could work this should be research informed and generate outcomes that are hoped to be achieved Um, and these will be in the in in the do stage where we implement what support is needed. Finally, in the review stage, we consider did the support actually work? There are positive and negative feedback here and really honest reflection uh, is important so that the cycle can begin again, the uh, assess, plan, do, review and again and again and again going going through the, the, the system. Always um, being adapted and tweaked to account for emerging needs. It really does work uh, in practice and that's what you should be seeing to get the best for the young people as, uh, who, who are. Um, have special educational needs
0: it 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 does sound like you know quite quite a logical sort of process and it's almost like a standard sort of development cycle but actually ensuring that you are honest and reflect on how successful interventions have been or um, activities have been that made that uh that can only sort of help to inform the student it sounds really comprehensive but during that cycle how can schools ensure parents and carers are also involved in in that process as well
1: you know it's really important that, and the code of practice is really clear that schools need to involve parents and carers throughout the provision um, and their voices and their views are really important in that process so um I, I think one thing we can look at here is the teaching and learning toolkit um and that suggests that if we get parental engagement right that can lead to an additional three months of learning across the course of a year so the impact of that on students with send is huge. You know, if we can find this way of using parental engagement to give every student with send three months' boost to their progress, it, it's massive. Um, the recommendations in that teaching and learning toolkit there they're not specific to send. They're, they're for working with any parents, but I think they've got four really great recommendations for schools, which are number one, be really critical in reviewing how you work with parents, be really honest about. How often are you in touch with them? What are the means of communication? What are the feedback mechanisms? Um, And and do a really honest review of that. Number two, provide practical strategies to support learning at home. So rather than just sending home lots of homework, be really practical and clear with parents about how they can help with that process and how they can get the most out of that homework and the home learning process. Number three is about really encouraging positive dialogue with parents about learning. Um, And I think. It's very easy as a school to fall into a trap where 99% of e-communication that goes home to parents is negative. It's a text about a detention. It's a letter saying they've been late for school. and Parents can then almost be trained to think when they see that school number flashing up on their phone or the text message or whatever the communication system is that it's going to say something negative. Um, and, And we need to break that cycle and actually be really positive in our dialogue about learning. And then finally, offer more sustained and intense support where it becomes clear that it's needed. As I said, that it's it's general advice on working with parents. That's not specific to SEND, but of course, it will help students with SEND. And um, So I'd say that's a, a good starting point for school leaders and teachers that want to look at how they can engage parents.
0: Absolutely, and and from a um a personal sort of study here, I can remember the time that um, one of my sons school teachers rung me and and I was very daunted when I answered the phone and he actually rung me to congratulate how how my son had actually got on during the lesson that day and and it really really made an impact that he'd taken the time to uh feedback and and as a result that really helped support the relationship and 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 keep me involved in the process I really I imagine your things.
1: default was uh, I bet your default stance was thinking oh yeah. what's he done now what are they ringing for what's gone wrong
0: yeah, it, it was it was a real kind of ne- negative uh, response reaction. Absolutely, I was I was dreading hearing what I was going to hear about. So uh, it came completely out of the blue. I, re- I really like those ideas, especially the idea about doing that positive, thing, encouraging that positive dialogue about learning. Uh, uh, quite often, schools the only time that parents are ca- contacted or carers are contacted by schools if there is an issue or something's wrong or the student's in trouble. So aside from these suggestions, is there anything schools can do in terms of parental engagement, specifically for students with
2: SEN, Debbie? There are lots of strategies. And, you know, when we're speaking today, just the idea of relationship building is coming through all the time, isn't it? Um, but some that spring to mind for me in terms of strategies are that, you know, ask the parents and carers how the school could communicate more effectively with them. Uh, what type of information would they find most helpful? I know as a parent myself, like you, Georgie, you've mentioned, you know, it, it's important, isn't it, that they hear your voice and begin from an understanding that the home and school are different environments in which the pupil may behave differently. And they often do uh, behave differently at home than they do at school. Be willing to listen and more importantly, actually hear what they say and learn from parents and carers accounts of how the pupil behaves at home. And then you'll have a much more holistic understanding of the the child. And as Andy said, I definitely think a great approach is to remember and share good news. And I think you've just exemplified that, Georgie, as well. And finally, engage in a genuine two-way conversation to avoid parents and carers feeling that they're not being told what to do. It needs to be a genuine discussion. And actually, when you do get to discussions where it's genuine and meaningful and based on a really solid, productive relationship between um, you and the parent or carer, it's really rewarding. And the child just benefits the most out of everything anyway.
0: Absolutely. And we're back to keeping that child at the centre um, and those uh, concepts we talk discussions so some great ideas there so to finish what what would your top tips be for how we can really understand the needs of our students so that we can help them to overcome any barriers to learning andy
1: Uh, for me i think it would be absolutely do you really know the theory know the general strategies that are considered useful for each area of need but just remember that they are generic and on top of them will be specific bespoke challenges, strategies that you need to discover for each individual student. So I guess just remembering that idea that it isn't one size fits all. And we can't say because this student has autism, X, Y and Z will work or they will struggle with A, B and C. Yes, there may be some things that they may likely find challenging or that may likely work. But actually, every single child an individual
2: yeah i mean i I agree absolutely and i'd also say that just to add about the you know i've mentioned this before and you can never mention it enough really but the importance and power of parental or carer involvement in the actual process and it being genuine when there's a true partnership approach between school and home it's beneficial for everyone and it's very very rewarding some parents might be challenging but at the end of the day most parents want the best for their child, and by working together openly and constructively, you're going to move move worlds for the child.
0: Yep, that's when we see great outcomes for students with SEND. So thanks, Andy and Debbie. That's so interesting, and it actually links really well to what we're discussing next week, which is around what does great teaching and learning look like for students with SEND. And we're going to consider what research tells us are our best bets for classroom practice to support students with SEND. We're going to explore strategies that can be adopted across the school or in an individual classroom that will support students with SEND to make excellent progress. And we're also going to consider some key approaches that teachers can implement that will not only support students with SEND, but help all the learners in the classroom to thrive. You can pick up our After the Bell podcast that is a released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. And you can access this whether you're on your daily commute, your drive, on your treadmill or as your focus for the day. Thank you for listening again to us. This has been After the Bell.